0: Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Matt Stein at Working Concept in Seattle. And today we have two guests on that are going to be talking to us about CSS in JavaScript. So first we have on Kai Hohenberger from Gremlin. How are you doing, Kai? Good. How about yourself? Excellent. And we also have on Mitchell Hamilton from Thinkmill. How are you doing, Mitchell? Good. good. Yeah. And I, I just want to say right here and now that Mitchell is a complete beast because... <laughs> He's on from Australia. What time is it there now? Um, 5 a.m. 5 a.m. My God. Mm. Well, thank you for coming on here. So we're going to be talking about CSS in JavaScript. And so Kai, if you were out foraging for truffles in the Pacific Northwest and you've got your your truffle pig out there and you're rooting around for them and someone comes up to you and says, hey, Kai, what is this CSS in JavaScript thing? Like, what would you tell them?
1: I would tell them that it is... Writing, Java, uh, writing CSS styles, and then uh, instead of putting them in a CSS file, you
0: use JavaScript APIs to insert them into the DOM. So, Okay, so for people who aren't familiar with this way of working with things, like why? Why would we do this?
1: Uh, the reason why is primarily because of the way you write React components. Hmm. And you're mostly dealing... This is me personally, this is like the motivation for me is... I'm constantly working in JavaScript files, and I don't want to keep checking back and forth between a CSS file and the JavaScript file. But not only that, it's that I don't want to reuse CSS class names. I want to reuse the components, and -hmm. I want to write those styles within the component so I have it all in one place to reference. And when I use it anywhere, I can have a very similar component next to it. I'm not worried about conflicts or anything like that. Um, I'm just sharing components.
0: So for you as a developer using the the stack that you're using, it just makes more sense to write it all in one place.
1: For me, yes, it does.
0: And does this share some similarities to JSX, for instance, in terms of the the mixing of stuff?
1: You know, it it kind of does because JSX is just a representation of what you want to display on the page. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not actually HTML, but it gets you in the context of HTML. And uh, so you can write things in a familiar way. And CSS and JS, like libraries like Emotion, they kind of do the same thing. They're allowing you to write your CSS right there within your JavaScript file, and you can feel comfortable about writing it because you're just using regular CSS style rules and all of the syntax rules apply. And then you just know that it's going to be scoped and inserted, you don't have to worry about
0: it. I'm glad you said the word comfortable because we have someone on here who is deeply uncomfortable with the idea of doing CSS in, in JavaScript. And and Matt, we'll get to you in a second. Ooh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't worry. But I wanted, uh, Mitchell, I wanted your kind of take on this. So if you were out on the Gold Coast and you were paddling out with your longboard to, to catch a wave and someone came up to you, next to you and said, hey, Mitchell, what is this crazy CSS in JavaScript thing? Like, how would you answer them?
2: I think the base thing is that It means you don't have to think about a lot of problems that you normally do with CSS. Like, Mm. what do I want to call this thing? And, like, will it conflict? And especially a big thing, composition. Because CSS class names aren't great to compose, because Mm. the order that they'll compose is defined by the order that they are in the style sheet. But that's not really what you want. You want, I have some styles, I want to compose them in this order. And CSS in your lets you do that.
3: <laughs> wait, wait. So the, the library itself is is creating the cascade based on how you've defined your
2: components and where you've used your styles then? Um, the cascade isn't really the right word for it. It's more just taking some styles and just like appending them. Yeah. It,
3: so if, if just... you're kind of old fashioned then and you're looking at all these inline styles thinking this is just a there's like no overlap between things and this is going to be a giant glob of um probably less than performant uh styles like like just kind of verbose stuff is that not true or um
2: is it just inlining everything everywhere okay firstly it's not inline styles css.js hasn't used inline styles for a long long time now, what most of the libraries use is the CSS object model APIs. And the most important one is insert rule, which, mm-hmm. as it sounds, inserts a rule. And it's like really performant. Like you'll be able to insert some many rules and like it just doesn't matter. And especially inserting rules through that is really important because you insert a rule, it'll just have to parse that thing. But a lot of older CSS and JS libraries just append a style rule to a style tag but then the browser has to reevaluate that entire style tag, like parts of the whole mm, thing. Again. Uh, really expensive. but just Yeah, it's ins- got to
0: rebuild the CSS object model every time, right?
2: Yeah, that that's really expensive. But just inserting a rule with insert rule, it's super fast. There are some drawbacks. So it's only really used in production in CSS and JS libraries because you can't edit rules inserted with it in dev tools. Mm. So in dev, we do a slightly different thing. We just... Append a new style tag and put it in, so you can edit it.
0: Yeah, so your your dev tools actually work. But so, isn't it possible also with this to extract everything out to a plain old CSS file if you really want to, or is that not the case anymore?
2: Um, I mean, like in what way? Like extract it at build time, or like when at like do server render? Well, I mean, the thing is, there's no real like. Well, so emotion actually started out as. This thing built on top of another library called Glam by Snail which was really focused on static extraction, and we could get into this history, but basically, like, well,
0: I mm-hmm. think we've started using yeah. the term emotion, but we haven't told anybody what that is. So, what is what is emotion?
2: Yeah, um, it's a CSS library that is primarily for React, but it also works without React. That just lets you insert styles with strings, objects, does server rendering, all the stuff you really need. And yeah. it's really flexible in how you do it.
0: And Kai, this is something that you created originally. Is that correct? Yeah, I started this
1: library as like a add-on to a, uh, like a Mitchell was saying, Sunil Pi's Glam library. Mm-hmm. And uh, originally, I think the original implementation was just to add a CSS prop with a Babel plugin. And then we kept building on this. And eventually it kind of consumed Glam. Like I kept just pulling parts of it out. We just kept building onto it, adding features, adding the style component part of it, uh, API. And I don't know about what point we started working on it together. Mitchell, do you remember?
2: Um, I can't I, even remember I what version. A, I submitted a PR to Glam. That was like my first thing. It was just like refactoring the Babel plugin a bit.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and I should point this out. We're bringing people together. So you, you two have collaborated together on Emotion for quite some time. But this is the first time we've ever heard each other's voices, right?
2: Um, I think. <laughs> well, I've the first time I've Kai's heard Mitchell. Yeah, I've heard Kai's on other podcasts,
0: but it's the first time that we've heard Mitchell. Kai's first time we've ever heard him speak. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. We speak I mean, in code the- man.
1: We literally right. just speaking code <laughs> most of the time,
0: right? I, I get it, I know. I didn't say you hadn't communicated before, I'm just saying it's the first time you've ever heard his voice, so that's really pretty cool, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, you mentioned something about uh writing this for React. Is CSS and JS a thing only for React, or if I'm doing vanilla JS, might I maybe be interested in it as well? Yeah, you can use be. it, yeah, yeah,
2: like.
1: But it's really not – I don't think it
0: works. (laughs) You can use it? Hold hold on, hold on, hold on. You can use it, but you don't think it works.
1: No, like I'm saying like – I would argue you shouldn't use it then. Yeah. So this is just my opinion. But when you're doing like uh, writing a site with, you know, DOM selectors or jQuery or something like that, or it just doesn't really translate. Like the API doesn't feel ergonomic. And the same goes with like view when you have the styles right there as like a style sheet. I mean, you're pretty close to a motion right there, Mm -hmm. you know, and the list goes on and on. That's why with the motion 10, we just went all out almost always on React. So, and that's what we recommend it for most.
0: Yeah. You just kind of went with the reality of, you know, if you're using this library, you probably are using React with it, right?
1: Yeah. You can use it without React. Um, no problem. It'll work. It just generates you, uh it'll generate class names. Wait, well, you just told um, me it wouldn't work. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to say like uh wouldn't work as in <laughs> it wouldn't function. I meant okay. it would <laughs> writing writing the whole purpose of it and the way you write the styles I don't think would work in that workflow is Got the better it. way to put it, I think.
0: Right. Okay. But yeah. It, yeah. So you could do it, but you might not really see any kind of a benefit from doing it outside of the React ecosystem.
1: Uh, right now, I, that that's true. I mean, yeah. who knows what people come up with? Emotions, thanks to Mitchell's, like broken down into all these little small component parts and packages. Mm-hmm. And so I could see people coming along in the future and building CSS and JS libraries um, using APIs and stuff we haven't thought of.
0: So most of the front end framework work that I do is based in view, right? And because of that, CSS and in JS just hasn't really been a thing I've had to deal with, right? Because you can have you can just have a style tag for your component and you can do scope styles and all that kind of stuff. So I'm gonna need your help educating me on how this all works. So when I sit down and we've got Matt is sitting next to us and he's very uncomfortable hearing this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. But when I sit down, instead of opening up a CSS file, I just write this stuff in pure javascript and I get a a javascript object that represents the css styles, is that right?
1: So the primary we're going to let's focus on the css prop in emotion 10 because that's right. how
0: I recommend you use it
1: and I think Mitchell yep. agrees with that. Yeah. What what you're going to do is you're you're going to write your styles, you're going to it has a css prop which is like an attribute and you could just write your styles directly in that and what's going to happen is Those styles are parsed very quickly. It's a very simple parsing. And then they are inserted into the CSS object model, like Mitchell mentioned. And -hmm. then a class name is given back to us. And we just attach that class name on the element. So when you sit down, you just use the CSS prop and write your styles right there. And then uh, when you see it on the page, it'll have a class name. So So
0: this is probably a dumb question. But if I have an error in my JavaScript, does that just mean that no styles load?
1: Uh you can tell pretty quickly and we have things like source maps where like you can see the bad style or something inside the inside your dev tools and you can click mm-hmm. and go directly to that style. But the, the styles themselves, sometimes you can you have the option. You can write them as objects where the keys are the CSS properties and the values of values, but you can also just use plain uh, CSS string, you know, and uh, just like SAS you use the ampersand to to do nested. Uh, styles and things like that
0: right yeah and the the reason i'm asking the question is we had uh, eric meyer of uh you know he's done a whole bunch of stuff with uh, css and i asked him about the css and js and one of his concerns was that we were replacing something that was very resilient which is css like i can write terrible faulty css and things will technically still work but we're replacing a, a resilient layer of css with something that is kind of fragile in terms of, of JavaScript. What would your what would your kind of response to that concern be? The um,
1: styles themselves are the same uh, kind of. Right. They're, uh, you know, what's the word you use? Resilient? Yes. So that, the styles you give emotion are going to go into the style sheet as you give them to it. So any kind of resilience to that is still there. So
3: yeah. I, in this context, I'm basically the, the truffle pig guy. Uh, <laughs> and... I, I'm wondering, uh, so at the end of the day, let's say, let's say I've, I'm, I'm fairly new to react myself. So I, but I'm, I'm getting comfortable with it a little bit. I'm used to opening up developer tools on the thing that I've built and looking at the bits and pieces of stuff that I have. You've been talking about how um, there's this API for adding CSS to this style sheet. I'm sending styles to this thing. Where do I see them? And, and the, in the familiar Face of the browser and, and opening up the developer tools. Like, where do I find the result of, of the style that I added in my component somewhere?
2: I mean, they're they're just there in tools. You can see them, and in development, we have source maps. So you can just like click on it, just like you do with CSS source maps, and it'll but it'll instead go to the JavaScript where you defined it. I see. From like- so it'll take you
3: back to that component, kind of. Well,
0: yeah. I want to explore your uncomfortableness with this whole thing, Matt. So what what about this makes you uncomfortable?
3: I think just my orientation toward how I use CSS. Um, mm. It was the same thing that made me uncomfortable with Tailwind, which I, I feel like is kind of a, a half measure now between what I'm used to of creating my own style hierarchy and, and Cascade and then using utility classes. And this sounds almost like super utility classes in a different context where you're you're just writing the styles and no kind of abstraction in the component as you need them and and the library itself concerns itself with things that you no longer have to if <laughs> that sounds right i'm not sure if i'm even making sense but that's what i think i'm hearing and it's just very different from how my approach has been to using styles in css
0: so i mean my my thought on this is that and it's something we've talked about before on the podcast is that, uh, you know, originally the web was document delivery, right? So CSS was designed in, in a way to be pretty good at applying styles to documents, right? And what has happened over the, the past decade is that more and more developers have wanted to use the web for as an app delivery platform, right? And I think some of the approaches that we're seeing now are as a result of the angle that developers are coming at this from right so if you're using react and you're building interactive application type stuff some of the the way that css was designed may not be that great for what you're doing because you really are kind of building stuff in components that do things in a kind of programmary ish way uh does that sound kind of reasonable kai it does yeah, so and- your desire to have a system like this is based on the way that you work and the kind of stuff that you build and you're like, well, you know, good for you CSS, like you did some really nice stuff, but we're not building pages anymore. We're building apps, right? And is that kind of where your impetus for emotion came from?
1: Yeah, I mean that that really does sum it up. Just for example, we recently redid the Emotion doc site And Mm -hmm. that uses a tool called Gatsby in which it's reading all of our Markdown files. So because we're using React and the style, the motion, we can basically tell Markdown or the Markdown parser to use a different component for each type of uh, element. Mm -hmm. And that component is just styled directly with the CSS prop. And so we can just quickly and easily style a highly dynamic site. It just makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes complete sense. And it's something that I've... I've talked about before is kind of interesting, like it may end up being that HTML, CSS and ES5 JavaScript or whatever are things that people in the future don't really write anymore. They're kind of these neutral standards that things get built down to just, you know, there's pug and things like that that people have used for HTML there's JSX. People are writing JavaScript in any number of things. You know, there was CoffeeScript and TypeScript and ES6 and ESNext and all, all that kind of fun stuff that ends up compiling down to ES5. And why should it be any different for CSS? Right? It's great that there's a neutral CSS standard that the browsers understand, but we should be able to build kind of whatever tooling that we want on that to, on top of that to work with it. Right? Is that is that kind of what you're trying to do here? Yeah, it, that's exactly it.
1: And uh, I think the important distinction is that sometimes uh, there's this thought that CSS and JS, you're not actually writing traditional CSS rules or those rules do not apply or it's special in some way. Mm. But kind of the beauty of it is, is that it is just CSS rules. All the same rules apply. You can do all the same things. Um, They just go into the browsers, the, the CSS object model a different way. Instead of a style sheet being parsed, you're inserting it via JavaScript.
0: So- yeah, and I'm somewhat familiar with the way that the the CSS object model works in terms of a browser compositing stuff. Yeah. And it's it sounds like, you know, as a as they build the CSS object model tree, you know, by parsing all the rules, if you just are inserting the style the styles like Mitchell was talking about before, okay, then it's got to go back and it's got to rebuild that tree. But when you use this API, what my guess is is that it probably traverses the already built tree and it just inserts it at the right place. Is that right?
1: It just goes on the end. Um, it's like a big okay. list and you just put it okay. on the end and they're applied.
0: Well, I mean, in terms of the, the internal CSS object model tree that it uses to render stuff. In other words, yeah. instead of having to rebuild the whole thing, I wonder if it does kind of a diff and it only, it just puts it in the right place in the tree when it's adding that in there.
1: I believe it just appends it to the end and then that rule is applied to the matching selectors I don't mm. it doesn't go and reselect everything just that next one gotcha gotcha but um, look I, when I was exploring the actual code of chromium and how that the CSS om works it's interesting that because whenever you put like a a link tag or a style tag it actually just goes into the same API that we're using mm. it's it's really interesting
0: yeah so you're you're using the system that the browser already uses to do what you're doing
1: Correct. Yeah,
0: No, that's really cool. I mean, it's amazing to me because for many, many years, people have used different tools like, again, like CoffeeScript or TypeScript or whatever to build their JavaScript, you know, running running it through Babel or whatever. And nobody freaked out. People are just like, okay, you know, if you want to use this other variant, like, I don't care. It still ends up in the same place. But for some reason, if I decide to build my CSS in a different way, like the, the whole world freaks out, like what's going on? I think I just figured it out. Okay,
3: I'm here breathing into a bag, asking myself, searching questions about why this <laughs> okay. is so challenging. Yeah, and I think it, yeah. I think the thing that nobody said, and this, I, I I have never ever explored the code of, of Chromium, for example. <laughs> I <laughs> I come from a place of of uh, basically styling documents, and I think that is. The challenge is this makes sense when you are thinking in components, right? When I, cause I was just thinking, okay, so I have a headline, let's, let's call it an, an H one it's used all over the site. Uh, it, to me, it sounds tedious <laughs> to have to go and change, uh, the, the injected style for, I'm sorry, not injected probably isn't the right term. Um, the, the. JS defines CSS for every headline in my site, but the problem there is that I'm thinking of it in terms of all the markup on my site that I need to go and change. When really, I should have a nice component for that header that I change once.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not thinking in
3: the right mode for this to be useful. That's 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 great. great. That's that's accurate then. Yeah. Okay, I'm down from an eight to about a three. (laughs) <laughs> I think you need the components. Put now. the bag well, down.
0: Keep, keep, yeah, put the bag down. Like relax. Like everything's gonna be okay, Matt. But yeah, you're exactly right. So instead of having to go then change the styling of, you know, every H1, you make one headline component and that's where the encapsulated CSS would be, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. And so that actually is one of um at Gremlin we, we just started using a, a text component. And it's really cool mm-hmm. because you just do the text component and you tell it the element you would like to render and all the styles are done for you. And you can just, there's mm. like four color options and four boldness options. And from that, you can basically, if you need to change the text on the site, you just change the tag that it's, or the element that it's using. And so all of our text is consistent and you can just pick one out of the bunch.
0: I think the crux of the biscuit for all of this stuff is just that <laughs> we're coming at it from a different angle, right? We're, we yeah. are not, Matt. You know, just working on styling web pages anymore. We really are trying to use this thing to do app development. And I, I come from a different background than you, Matt. I come from a, a an iOS and a, a Mac app development background. So I mean, I totally get the kind of things that they're they're trying to do here. And I think it's kind of interesting to see. I don't know. I mean, it seems so strange to me that there's such resistance to this, right? Because like, if you don't. If you're not building appish stuff, like if that just happens to not be what you're doing, then fine. Like, just don't use it, <laughs> right?
3: Well, is is there resistance, or is it just people like me? They're like, I, you know, I don't understand that. Oh my god, there have been like Twitter holy wars on this stuff. Well, <laughs> I, I I can't do a lot of Twitter.
1: <laughs> For that, the, I think Twitter it's is the vast the, majority are like Matt,
3: yeah. But, but just to be clear, though, I'm my confusion is, I, you know, I embrace it and figure it out slowly. I'm, I'm not resistant. I wouldn't go out and start a holy war. I'm just I'm just trying to cozy up to the idea. And I think largely because I'm I'm just now getting around to thinking, starting to think in components and build the kinds of things that they solve more problems than they
0: create. Well, the I think we all have a bias, which is that we we come at everything from the perspective that, you know, that that we come from. Right. So folks that are building everything in react, a client might bring a marketing site to them and they'll say, great, you know, let's build it in a react SPA, but that may or may not be the best way to do this. Right. Depending on what it is. And it's very similar for more traditional web developers who are used to doing server side stuff, you know, whether with a, with a CMS or with some other tool that they may look at the idea of, you know, building a website as an application and they may think it's crazy. So, I mean, we're all biased in terms of being familiar with the uh, the tools that we're using, but it sounds like the emotion sprung out of an actual need. Like you had a problem as you were developing stuff and you said, Hey, I think I can come up with a good way to solve this.
1: Is that right? Yeah. Do you know the the story? Uh, the primary reason I, I uh, created is so we were using another CSS and JS solution and uh, at mm-hmm. Healthline. We were building it out and we had to move really, really fast. We were on a lot of pressure to get done quick, and uh, so CSS and JS made sense there. And then mm-hmm. we were seeing performance problems at the uh, for server-side rendering at like large scale. Right. And uh, I started really working on emotion then to try to get the performance up, and so we would uh, have better performance on our servers. Uh, but yeah, that's really the reason why I branched off of the other CSS and JS libraries at the time.
0: Right. You were working on something, and what whatever tools you were using at the time didn't didn't work the way you needed them to. So you said, "All right." I'm going to make my own tool to do this stuff.
2: And then
1: Mitchell made it way better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mitchell, how'd you make it better? Um, well, so the original kind of like premise of emotion was like, let's do a bunch of build time optimizations and make it way faster. Mm-hmm. And right. but that wasn't really like looking at like, why are current solutions slow? Okay. So basically style components, which was a lot slower at the time, didn't use the insert rule thing I mentioned. And that was really the predominant reason why it was slow. It's, it uses insert rule now and it's much faster now. But people are, were often and like still are, are like, oh, parsing CSS in the browser must be really slow in terms of like prefixing it and like stuff like that. But it's really quite cheap. Most CSS and JS libraries use something called stylus. It's basically just a CSS processor that's like three kilobytes and like super fast. And that's really fast. And so that's why that wasn't why stylus components was slow, but the whole premise of the motion was oh let's do the processing of stuff at build on. So so I was like, what if we took fast insertion with insert rule and stylus with like fast processing and just put them together and it was way faster than what we were doing and it solved a bunch of problems because it didn't have this dependency on a Mabble play. And it was really just like a win in every way.
0: Yeah. So you found the bottleneck or a major bottleneck and you eliminated yeah. it, right? Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's really,
3: really neat. I'm curious, both, uh, Kai and Mitchell. So I'm, I'm pretty sure we all started playing with CSS in the same form a long time ago. I'm really curious about what your paths have looked like to, to uh, getting to the kind of work that you're doing now.
0: Um, Kai, you go first.
1: I, uh, I got thrown into a web developer role because the guy that was doing web development at the company I was working at as an IT guy got fired for fighting an umpire. Um, So I got (laughs) put on his desk the next day. Was that common? No. (laughs) It it was a big shock. And then so I just started reading books and I was using WordPress and CSS. And um, I kept doing that throughout for a couple of years. And I just got better and better by constantly learning and Eventually, I found this thing called Aphrodite, which is the, one of the original CSS and JS libraries. And uh, at my startup, uh, Sideway, I started using that, and I fell in love with writing styles
0: that way. And getting, well, of course <laughs> you fell in love with Aphrodite. <laughs> <Ooh.
2: laughs> yeah, it's lost sense on now. me. Thank you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, from that point forward, uh, I, I, I just threw away the SAS compiler. I didn't want it, it that dependency or it to run. It took forever to npm install. Get rid of it. This is better anyway.
0: But what was your your background prior to doing this? Did you have any kind of a developer or programming background? I dropped out of computer
1: science in college. And then uh, when my wife graduated, I just left and worked IT until I got thrown into that job. And I just kept going from there.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you did have kind of a a technical background. Uh, Mitchell, how
2: about yourself? Um, I'm a lot newer to programming than all of you. I'm like still in high school. (laughs) So, like, I probably started uh, four years ago experimenting with different... Hold on. We got to give everyone
0: context, Mitchell. Yeah. How old are you now? 17. 17. All right. So, you started a, a kind of programming at 13. And what were you hacking around with then?
2: Um, well, the, like, first was, like, some, like, bootstrap HTML stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not really, like, writing styles myself. And then Ionic with, like, Angular and ah, and, okay. yep. and TypeScript, which was a big mistake because I was really like learning TypeScript before JavaScript, which is truly horrible. And I I, I love types now, but TypeScript I, I still just. Ugh. Um. Well, listen, Mitchell, from someone that comes
0: from a, a strongly typed language background, I fully support your TypeScript overlords. <laughs> <laughs>
2: anyway, continue. Um. And then I kind of experimented in like, I kind of tried React and I was like, well, I actually tried React Native and I was like, this is really difficult. Like, cause, mm. cause kind of like, you know, something that I really love now is like, just using JavaScript to make views, not having to have, to think about this template language, like in other things. But right. like, beginning, it's really difficult because like, you just don't know basic things and, the template language it's a lot easier because there's this like set out way to do it and you can just follow that so i like tried view a bit and then i tried react for a bit longer and i basically fell in love with it and i haven't left <laughs> and
1: and to be fair you do love flow don't you
2: yes oh yes flow flow is great i i mean it has some problems of course but yeah i really like flow it's great
0: yeah, and so Matt, does that answer your question in terms yeah,
2: of their it does. background?
0: Uh, yeah, it
3: does. It does. And I I actually I made a bad assumption. Oh. And uh, it's probably uh, <laughs> you probably don't struggle with styling documents if you've started with with JavaScript and and I don't know, I feel like I'm I'm looking at a car wondering where you put the oats <laughs> and it sounds like that may not be a problem as much. Sorry, that was a horse
0: <laughs> reference. <laughs> Oh come on! Never mind. Man, that's too obscure, man.
3: <laughs> well, I didn't have time to formulate the joke. I, I work best in writing. I'm not a good podcast panelist. I just uh, <laughs> it was only half baked, but that that does.
0: I I actually appreciate. Well, so both let's of those let's things. get back to the the controversy right? So, what, what do you say to people, Kai, who just say, this is horrible, like, why are you putting CSS in there that's like, you know, mixing and that's like what we did in the bad old days of PHP, where we would, you know, throw a PHP <laughs> tag and sprinkle it in with a whole bunch of print statements and mix and match it with HTML, and the, the whole point of this is we have separations of concerns and we have different things in different places, and you're, you're killing the cascade. Like, how, how do you kind of respond to that? I would start... By saying
1: only use it if it, you enjoy it, right? That's the biggest thing. <laughs> if it's not making you happy, then don't. Um, right. The cascade still works, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, you can still use nested selectors, and things like that. Um, the thing is that I agree with them on most points. That we have, I think Mitchell has them too. Is like we have a very specific set of things that we won't do because we know they're not fast or performant, or they don't. Uh, work well just in 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 developer experience i mean i can't tell you how many times i've bounced terrible ideas off mitchell and mitchell's like slow down this is-. <laughs> it happens a lot. and we <laughs> yeah <laughs> and but the thing is all these rapid idea i mean it's just and we when we first started working together i we were like benchmarking like crazy and like we would just try right. things and um okay this is slow for this and so like i agree with them like you shouldn't do a lot of you know, you need to, there's ways to do this. It's not like a, a Wild West. Um, right. We put a lot of thought into this.
0: Well, so I'm very intrigued now. So give me an example of some yeah. really bad ideas.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know. Terrible API ideas. I don't know. There's so many. You you have to understand, like, Mitchell would get online really late in the, in the night for me. Mm-hmm. And he would be starting right. the day. And tell him what I was working on. And this is where we're at, blah, blah, blah. And then a bunch of random string of ideas and nonsense and then i'm like i'm going to bed right know? and then it's and then like <laughs> just and then in the morning we talk again or whatever it was yeah but
3: so is there a really good example of kind of like a recurring request or a thing that that you've you defend against because it's a bad idea that that would
2: translate component selectors
1: i don't that you would need a lot of context to understand that do you have any mm-hmm.
2: Mitchell um i mean i'm just looking at slack it like you you went like there it says a random idea what do you think about this like two days ago <laughs> um, with this like padding and like spacing thing and like yeah. responsive stuff. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> There's some good I things know, that come out of that. Face paint came out of that. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Like, and like, like, like face paint. within like, like there was, you like had this idea for an API and I was like, why do we have that? Let's just get rid of that. And then it's way nicer. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of like random stuff.
0: So Matt, Matt mentioned this earlier about how he has started adopting using Tailwind CSS. Have either of you taken a look at that at all? Um, I've, I've looked I at have. it a, bit. a little bit. Well, Mitchell, now that you, you've got Simon working with you at Thinkmill, like he's going to harass the yeah. crap out of you. Yeah, yeah.
2: He, he, <laughs> he has talked a little bit about it, and I think he's giving like yeah. a team talk.
0: Well, the interesting thing is the the author. So I'll give you just like a brief breakdown on it. So. It's a utility-first CSS and it's generated by a JavaScript config file. So you can define your type scale, you can define your, your colors, your responsive sizes, all of that is defined in a, a JavaScript file. And then it goes out and it just generates this massive CSS that has all of these utility classes in it, right? And the nice thing about it is as you're developing stuff, like you can just type like W-2 for uh, the, the two size width. Right or uh, you know, and it, it works in a stenographer fashion in that regard, and it's really nice for rapidly prototyping stuff because you don't ever think about actually writing CSS. Right, you're just adding these utility classes to to build things up, and you can look at them. And then in production, what it does is it goes out, and you can use purge CSS that it just gets rid of all of these classes that you don't use. And I think that a direction that Adam uh, Wathan, who's the the author of it, is exploring is the idea of making it work with CSS and JS solutions like emotion. And I just wanted to kind of run that by you and see if that you found that interesting at all. I a, a big
2: concern that I have with stuff like this is the cost it takes to learn. Like I'm just like on the dark side right now mm-hmm. and just like looking at mm-hmm. some of these classes and it's just like this class is this property. And I think that's, like, a big overhead. For a lot of things, right. I totally agree with it. Like, the spacing and, like, font sizing and colors, I think that's really great. Like, I love that. Right. Like, having a set, these are the font sizes, choose the scaling accordingly. Um. But, like, things like, like, position, whatever. Like, having oh. classes for that, I, I just don't see the value. I think that... and. I I see the value in, like, regular HTML because, like, otherwise you'd have to, like, write some CSS and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, write a file, blah, 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 name it, blah, blah, blah. But, like, with Emotion, it's just, oh, use the CSS prop, put on this CSS property, and it's just really quick and you don't have to write and some
0: of the problems that exactly some of the problems that it is trying to solve are already solved if you're using emotion with react right because what it's trying to limit and and i totally get what you're saying you're like why should i learn this custom name for a class why don't i just learn the actual css property yeah yeah. yeah, and and i totally get that right because (laughs) you do have that kind of mental space i think the What it's trying to solve is people who are writing just tons and tons of like custom BEM naming conventions for their CSS. And they end up with all this kind of custom stuff. Whereas if you're using something like uh, if you're using React and Emotion, like that just isn't a problem, right? (laughs) Because the styles are associated with the components, right?
1: Yeah. And there's, I mean, take it. I mean, there's like debate on this, but you're not loading a CSS file at all. Right. Even if you're if you're doing server side rendering, the styles are just right in line with the HTML. So there's mm-hmm. not even a CSS file download
0: then. Anyway. Now how does this handle the critical path? So one of the things that I've been doing on websites for a very long time is using critical CSS so that all of the rules that are needed to load the above the fold content, boom, they're there. How does that work with Emotion? Is there a way to do that?
2: Yes. Yeah, so it, you
1: would you would it, do server side rendering. Yeah, go ahead,
2: Mitchell. Um, it's like just the default, like it's really the only way you can do server rendering with CSS because we only know the styles that you use when you render.
0: Right. But you were mentioning that they're inserted via an API and I don't want to have to wait for JavaScript to, you know, run and execute that. Right. I just want the styles there or does it not Um, matter? Well, that's what my client
1: said. Let me take this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's think about this as if you're not rendering on your server side rendering at all, and you're just doing client-side rendering,
0: the
1: the styles are built as the React components are rendered. So there's no, they're at the Mm -hmm. same time. Right, so we're
0: going to be blocking there. But if we do server-side rendering, this will all be, you know, pre-written out in a style tag or something?
1: Yeah, so each style, each element gets a little style tag next to it uh, because of fragments. And so they're right in line. You actually don't even have to do anything. We just detect it. Okay, so that's
0: great. So by default, if you're doing SSR, you're going to get just the CSS as needed, no blocking, no nothing. That's fantastic.
1: And if you're choosing to do client-side rendering, then, you know, you're not waiting on Emotion, you're waiting on React to render because the styles are created as they're rendered. Right. Yeah.
3: Does that mean the components themselves are kind of follow the critical path rather than just the styles that would have been applied?
1: So yeah, only the, the the only the styles that are actually being used are sent down with the the, the HTML file. Mm, right, cool. So you all you get yeah, like an so, optimizer I mean, for free.
0: Right. Yeah. So like the step that we're doing with Tailwind in terms of using purge CSS, like that's just that just happens as a course of this library doing its thing, right? Correct. Yeah, because it, it doesn't know about all of these other crazy styles. It only knows about what you're using, so that's what's gonna go down the pipe.
1: Yeah, that's really and, neat. And that, in, that I mean, that can even include like, you know, sometimes when you're writing an app, you might have a uh, a conditional that says, if this is true, you know, render this path of elements or components. And if it's not, you know, another one, well, on the server, if that's true, it's going to render that first block and only those styles are sent down. Mm-hmm. And then if it gets switched in on the client, then the other ones will just be inserted instantly as it's rendered.
0: Right. Yeah. I just think the, the whole JavaScript world is really interesting because it kind of started out that people were like, "Oh, you know what? Why don't we why don't we use JavaScript because it's pretty mature, and we'll we'll make it all client side, right? We'll put everything in the client, and we'll render this really nice reactive UI, and everything is fantastic." And then we said, "Up, oh, actually, that can have some serious performance <laughs> issues. You know, it, it definitely delivers the stuff to the the client really quickly, but then." their device has got to do all of this work, right? So then we said, "Ah, you know what? Actually, we should probably bring this back and server-side render this stuff, just like traditional languages like PHP and Python, so that what is delivered to the client is good to go and and lightweight clients can then do stuff with it. And then we're doing pre-rendering and we're doing all this kind of crazy stuff. And a lot of these things have come 360 degrees to be more similar to... Kind of traditional languages like PHP, but you get that added benefit that it also can be hydrated and execute in the browser, right? So it's it's actually really exciting to me. I find the, this whole process really, really interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. I would argue that it's not really coming full circle, but it's becoming more no? specialized. So, mm, okay. I, I mean, in my opinion, having a client-side rendered app, it's like an application application where. Uh, your users are logged in most of the day or there's a login screen at the beginning, you know, uh, those kind of things. Most of the time they're fine to be client uh, rendered. And then there's a lot of times when server side rendering is very important. And for instance, right. at, when we were doing Healthline, it's a massive content content site and advertisements are how the, the bills get paid. And so you need to mm. load that page as quickly as possible. It needs to be Google SEO, all the SEOs. Yep. And the ads need to load almost instantly. So in that situation, SSR, there's no question. You're depending on your response times and your time to interaction.
0: Yeah. I mean, we had uh, Paulo, uh, a guest on here a number of episodes ago. And one of the things that he mentioned is that he wished that there was some kind of a a certification process for all of this, because I've seen it too, where there are tons and tons of sites that are using React and they're doing it. Poorly, <laughs> in terms of not SSRing, or and you end up with this experience where you you try to load it on your your mobile device and you're like, God, this is who decided to do this? You know?
1: Yeah, that does happen.
0: Do you do you ever wish there was some kind of a certification process or something? Because I mean, it's a, a faulty impression because you definitely can do this the right way where it's pretty fantastic. But I think a negative impression that a decent number of people have is that when you're using it's based on a lot of these sites that they've seen that are very, very client or heavy where everything blocks until all the JavaScript is loaded and everything gets mounted and then it finally renders stuff. And it ends up being a horrible experience for people. Do you wish there was some kind of a certification process or something where you're like, look, it's fine if you do it, if you want to do this, but do it the right way, like SSR this stuff, you know? I don't know.
1: I don't. I don't think so. I, I think you just, the numbers don't lie. Like if you're not going to, you're not going to spend the time configuring your app correctly or, right. um, I mean, that's a, a lot of times that's what's going on is misconfigured apps. Right. They're built configs or whatever, or just massive time crunches to get a, a large app, complex app out the door. Um, yeah. And with React, I mean, there's a lot of shortcuts you can take and it doesn't matter what library or what pattern you're using and but some of these shortcuts can um shortcut maybe not the right word just you know quickly doing something that with without consideration for the entire app and that's what makes react difficult i think to start with too
0: yeah No, I I agree with you. I mean, I've, I've long said that you can give me, Kai, you can give me any language, any framework, and I can write you a crap app using it, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't care. You can give me any, any technology and I can write you something horrible. So you're right. A lot of it is, is on the implementers. Um, And, and you're also correct that some of it is just like, you know, the client wants it done by such and such a date. We didn't have a performance budget to, to measure this thing and to make sure that things are really good. You know, yeah. And, I mean, you ever yeah, run of... into anything like that? Okay. Sorry, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say a lot of times you get like a feature request or something, and you use one library, and that might be fine. But then when you mix it with another, or you know, you have a lot of developers using a lot of different patterns, or, or uh consider different things important, it becomes really mm-hmm. difficult. That's why I'm really happy with like what Facebook the the development group behind React is really doing a great job progressing. Uh, making that right. kind of education and uh, making it really hard to screw up with all the new ESLint plugins and stuff for hooks, for example.
0: Based on what you had uh, told us about how your first interaction with Kai was about, kind of optimizing the way this thing worked, where the way that emotion worked, it sounds like performance is a big concern of yours, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like recently, I've been doing like a bunch of little like UI performance stuff, mm-hmm. um, and like recently, there's this PR on react that got me really excited all right um it's about partial hydration which i feel like a lot of people like probably like what but it's really exciting so basically rather that- than having the whole what
0: i was gonna say is that like you know you go for a run and you really want a water and you just take a sip is that but what the glass is, is
3: only half full the oh, only it only has, has ex-
1: exactly <laughs> as much as you need to be satisfied.
2: Yeah. Tell us what partial hydration is. <laughs> um, it's basically, so like, you know how when you do sort of rendering and then on the client, you have to like, hi, like hydrate. Yeah. Wrap. Mm-hmm. And normally you do it in one big go and it's like super expensive and it's terrible for the user. Right. But what this is about is just hydrate part of the tree wait Mm. like so it's still interactive to the user and hydrate more and like i'm just really excited about that it's it's all based on it works through the suspense api i don't Mm. know uh, um are you are you familiar with suspense no as a concept oh oh no react suspense (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) i Um, am
3: in suspense now No, I
0: mean I I, I get the general concept. Though it sounds like it's kind of kind of like lazy loading images, but for hydration, where you just load just what is needed uh, and bring the rest in as
2: needed. Well, partial hydration is like it'll it'll keep on hydrating until it's done, but it'll just let the user respond while it's doing that. Gotcha. Um, (laughs) And it's based on the suspense API, which is basically for loading stuff. Basically, if you throw a promise in render. This is kind of like, it doesn't totally, I mean, this stuff that the, the, a lot of it is implemented, but it's not really ready to use for all use cases. Mm. But basically you throw a promise in render. It will go up to the closest suspenseful right This isn't like a perfect explanation because there's a lot of nuance and complexity, but basically it'll go up to the nearest suspense component that you use. And render the full back, which is like your loading state. Hmm. Um, and then when it resolves, it'll re-render and like, you know, you'll have loaded the thing. You can display what you want to display. And it, it, it's got a bunch of other cool stuff. Like, yeah, it's,
0: it sounds like more finely grained hydration then,
2: right? Oh, well, well, the suspense isn't just about hydration. It's about a lot of stuff. Right. Um, but. It enables this partial hydration because right. you've got this fullback that you can immediately go to if something goes wrong. You can just render the fullback instead of the actual like condense on the server. And just like React is doing so many amazing things in terms of performance that just make it so much easier. Like recently, the performance work I've been doing, hooks make it so much easier mm. to make performance stuff. It it's just everything that React Team is doing, I'm just so on board with. Like Very they're, cool. They're seriously
3: amazing. So we there have been a lot of names flying around that I just <laughs> enjoy. Emotion, Gremlin, face paint, suspense. Um <laughs> but the the one that's <laughs> most relevant right now that I, I I'll Google the rest later. Um why emotion? Oh uh, so I, Um I didn't name it so
1: there's a I had like a utility to give me all the available names on NPM and I picked the best one I thought. Um and I do I really do think it's about giving your site or your app emotion, um, because if it's just black and white, I mean, just the whole concept of adding styles gives your whole site a feel, hmm. so emotion. And there's a lot of good puns. I never get tired of them. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would
3: make that my primary reason, but I, I respect <laughs> that you had a different one.
1: No, it really is about giving your site emotion, though, and that that feel that a, a user gets when they visit a like a well-designed and well-implemented site.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, a big part of UX is, and, and Matt, your background as a designer is connecting with people, right? Yeah. Well, and
3: I I, I kind of appreciate my, I assumed a little bit that it was about the, the kind of the fluidity of of connecting with those styles as you're working in React components and kind of like the, the harmony of it all coming together. But yeah. I guess you
1: can have
0: whatever I'll, I'll
1: use that one for now on too. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Feel free to take it. Feel, feel yeah. free to steal there you go. it. So, Matt, what do you think? Are you going to you gonna start going down that road of using emotion or does it really depend on whether you start doing a bunch of stuff in React?
3: I'm just hunting truffles and uh, I'm, I'm working <laughs> my... I mean, I, I'm appreciating... I think in a few months I'll probably be in a place where I'm thinking more in components and less about styling documents and things like this will right. so connect a lot more with me. Um, right. I think toying around with gatsby has has it's just like a nicely packaged thing that's helped me understand a lot of what modern development is and looks like and what performance can look like and sure. so i'm i'm just like picking apart the pieces and starting to appreciate a new way to approach the way that i build stuff so i'm considerably less uncomfortable than i was and i'm certainly not about to start a holy war cuz I don't know why anybody needs to do that, but... uh.
1: So it's funny you mentioned Gatsby because I was going to say, as Gatsby's popularity rises, and I think it's just going to get more and more popular, the the more mainstream React is going to become, especially for agencies and uh, content producers and that giant world that is small business WordPress sites. And so when those all take adoption of React is way more mainstream, I think the idea of working in components... And this idea of CSS and JS is going to get a lot more comfortable because as you work yeah, sure. in Gatsby, you kind of get a feel for how a component represents something in your content that is coming from that, it, whatever CMS it is. And you can just reuse that same component work throughout.
3: Yeah. That's I'm I'm in the middle of taking a Craft CMS site that is, uses Twig templates and turning it into a Gatsby project, um, mm-hmm. and we'd all be really disappointed if we looked at my components right now because they're forcing it to try to be <laughs> like Twig. But in doing that, <sighs> like I'm I'm taking baby steps into understanding a different way of thinking about how to build things, and it's it's right. very enlightening and kind of fun. Yeah. I think the challenge is that and and the Twitter wars arise just because there's so many cool things going on and so many specialized way of ways of focusing on yeah. various aspects of web things. Like it's it determining what the right way is or what balance looks like is challenging or can be challenging.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and Kai, I think you made a really good point about Gatsby going more mainstream because Gatsby really solves a problem, right? Yeah. Gatsby is not just a, a static site generator. It, it generates a, it uses best, best practices to take content from multiple sources and aggregate it and spit out something that's good and fast, right? Like, yeah. like you have to work to make your Gatsby site be bad. You can still do it, right? Yeah, you really do. But you have to work. Yeah. You have to work to do that. And so that solves a, a really real problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it, all these all these little kind of ecosystems are interesting to me because I mean I, I come more from uh, you know a craft CMS Laravel uh, background where Vue.js is what is used more than anything else right yeah and you can do all of your work in Vue and you just never would ever even occur to you to use CSS and JS. Because it's, just, it's not a thing, right? Because you just have a, a single file view component and you just dump your scope CSS in there and away you go, you know? But you, they're both thinking about things from the same point of view in terms of how can we have the CSS just as part of this component, you know? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really interesting. Well, listen, I appreciate uh, both of you coming on, especially, uh, Mitchell, that you managed to get up at 5 a.m. Like, my hat's <laughs> off to you. Yeah, well yeah. done. Um, but that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast to have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player subscribe to our rss feed or subscribe via itunes or google play and if you like what we're doing leave us a review you can follow us on twitter at devmodefm we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode please make sure there's lots of emotion in them for the devmode.fm podcast i'm andrew welch
3: i'm matt stein
0: and thank you kai yep thanks for having me man And Mitchell, thank you for coming on. That's been great. All right. gentlemen that was a whole lot of